I think a lot of people think that when you meet your, your, your sweetie, your lifelong sweetie, you ride off into the sunset and fuck happily ever after, and it doesn't actually quite go like that. As always, the big C here on Let's Talk About Sex. <laughs> always. Communication. Come on. Let's talk about sex. That's right. It's time to get sexy. Oh, my. <laughs> hey, it's Tanya. It's time. I know. Is this breakup sex? Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> the the good kind, not the toxic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know what time it is. It's Let's Talk About Sex. And today we are chatting about uh, genital response versus arousal versus desire. So a bit of context here um, and a big shout out and thank you to our producer, Amber, Amber. who really makes yeah. this segment possible and what it is. Um, Amber was reading Come As You Are, which uh, is a book by an incredible um, author, Emily Nagoski. And Amber was really struck by the idea of genital response versus arousal versus desire and consent and how they all, I guess, like interplay in yeah. um, a gratifying sexual experience, right? Right. I'm so grateful to Amber for choosing this as a story because this is kind of like all my shticks yeah. rolled into one. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a great chat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, kicking it off, what is a genital response? What the hell is that? What do you mean? Okay. Um, before we even get to genital response, one of the things I want to say that Emily spoke about, she spoke about wanting liking and learning, right? And these are really good things for us to understand about arousal, about responses and about a good sexual experience. So liking is something that hits the dopamine receptors, right? So they've they've shown it in newborn babies. You put some sugar water on their tongue and they're like, whoa, and the dopamine goes off. So we know that that's something that we like. Mm. Wanting is seeking out that thing that we like. And then learning, it links something to, it links the liking to some things, to a behaviour or something that we want to do, mm. right? So it's important to understand that and they'll loop back into the conversation. So genital response. Um, this is like a physiological response to something that's a stimulus. Mm. And the stimulus can be mental. Somebody could be telling, whispering sweet nothings into your ear or talking a little bit dirty or they could be touching you or you could be having some kind of um, touch put to your genitals. And what it looks like is something like engorgement or uh, erection, getting wet, pre-cum it can even look like an orgasm or an ejaculation but what we need to learn is that you cannot predict how someone is reacting to sexual stimulus by looking at their genital blood flow mm. right so this is this is the chat this morning and then arousal and desire they both kind of seem like the same thing but Ooh. There's a difference, right? <laughs> so different, right? So it's so a desire is the interest or the drive to seek out, in this case we're going to talk about sex, so to seek out sexual objects or activities. It's a willingness or a want to do something. So we're talk it's kind of like that um, what we were talking about before, the the wanting, right? Um, but arousal is a response so the desire is interest or willingness the arousal is a response to something it can be a psychological state of excitement it can be a physiological swelling or engorgement 
So they're the, the ways to look at it and see how they differ because they are quite different when mm. you think about it that way. And then is it possible to have sexual arousal without, without also having sexual desire? Um, do you mean genital arousal or sexual arousal? Sexual arousal. Yeah, I think so, because I think a lot of people, and we'll talk a little bit more about different kinds of desire, but I think people can be like, you know what, you look really cute, um, I, I want to get naked with you or do something lovely, even if they hadn't been feeling too particularly sexy in the first place. Mm. So it could be like, oh, it's been a while since we've done that, or oh, you're a little bit hot and maybe you, know, maybe you won't come by again, that sort of thing, where people can can respond and they can have a nice time. So they might not start with desire, but they might put themselves put themselves by their choice. Mm. And this is very important in a situation that they will then respond and arouse to. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I'm curious then though what's the difference between a spontaneous desire and a reactive Responsive. responsive desire, yeah. yeah. I want to double back around too. I just left something out there. So um, sexual arousal without sexual desire. Think of our asexual friends that have sex, right? So a lot of folks who are asexual have little or no interest or desire in sex, but they can choose to have sex, and they do, and they can have a nice time hmm. as well. So they're not doing something that's absolutely abhorrent. It's just something they're not drawn to or have the same desire as many other folks. So that's super important to understand, and that's a really good example of being able to arouse without necessarily having desire. Uh, now, here's one of my favouritest questions ever. What is the difference between <laughs> spontaneous versus uh, responsive desire? Right. So I think we all know about spontaneous desire. That's the tingling in our loins, the mm. rumbling in our underwear. It's that kind of feeling horny and wanting to pounce on someone. Yeah, we all know that feeling. And this is what the media shows us all the time. It's lust and it's what we call limerence, right? So for those who don't know what the term limerence is, it's the science name for honeymoon period. When you get a new lover, your skin hits their skin and goes, ooh, somebody new. And because we're hardwired to find a mate, we get a flush of these kind of horny hormones that do things like put blinkers up so that we don't see that they burp and they fart and they leave their lid <laughs> off the toothpaste like everybody else. They make us very interested and very interesting. There's a lot of spontaneous sex at that time. People are adventurous. It's super easy to get to sex. And it's all that kind of lovey-dovey, you hang up, no, you hang up <laughs> sort of stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's a chemical called DHEA and they've managed to actually synthesize it and put it into pill format, but it done work. Oh. Yep, doesn't work in pill format, only works in the body. So limerence tends to last six to 24 months, depending on the couple. Some people are lucky and can sort of wang it out to mm. 36 months, but then those chemicals go away. And then you find yourself needing to work at or prioritize your intimate life. I think a lot of people think that when you meet your, your, your sweetie, your lifelong sweetie, you ride off into the sunset and fuck happily ever after. And it doesn't <laughs> actually quite go like that. Yeah. Right. So limerence helps us find people. So, and I think that that's then why people think this is the only kind of desire there is. And, um, I think, to be honest, it's the most easy because it just shows up and then people can act on it. So, so many of my clients refer to this as natural sex, and I'm putting the little air quotes up. <laughs> um, I mean, really, isn't all sex natural yeah. to begin with? So uh, I think they, 
they also feel like they're falling out of love when limerence disappears. So uh, remember, love is a doing word, mm. right? It's a decision to show up every day, uh, regardless of whether it's a good day or a not so good day in your relationship, whether it's a horny day or a not so horny day. So if you're wanting a regular sex life, then let's come back to responsive desire. Responsive desire is when you decide to have sex or you respond to a stimulus. So you might be sitting there reading your book and your partner can um, give you a foot massage or nuzzle your neck and say hello mm. and give you an idea and then you can decide, okay, yep, great, uh, I wasn't thinking about it, but yeah, now's a good time. Or um, I think sometimes uh, I see it more prevalent in long-term relationships, uh, this this deciding because it's harder to be spontaneous people have got jobs people have got study people have got domestic stuff going on kids they're busy yeah they don't prioritize things like they did when they were brand new lovers so people then need to learn to prioritize sex and there's more deciding had and the people I see that report having great sex lives are those that have learned to prioritize so they make time and they talk about the types of activities and the frequency they might like to be having sex and then they get to it so they don't wait for the tingling in their loins yeah if that makes sense yeah totally yeah Tanya what are some things that can stop someone from feeling desire despite being able to feel or having like a genital response or feeling aroused. Okay. And so this is where we get into the term that Emily has as arousal non-concordance. So we'll speak a little bit more about that. So it's like when your genitals are aroused, but you're like, yeah, nah, I don't want to. Mm. Um, fear, huge one. Power imbalance, violence, threat. Uh, your body can respond, but you can be like, absolutely no, I don't want to do this. Uh, not wanting sex because you don't feel like it. You might be menstruating. You might be afraid of getting pregnant. The person, hot as they may be, might be inappropriate. They might be attached. They might be a boss. They might be, you know, for reasons better known to yourself, not a good <laughs> idea. Uh, you might have a lack of confidence. I really want to, but oh, I'm too scared to act on it. Sometimes common sense. Sometimes pain or injury or previous bad experiences. Maybe it's just not the right time or moment. Yeah. What we need to know is that the reasons that people might not have desire are infinite and they should be listened to. They are all reasons. They are not excuses. Um, you mentioned arousal non-concordance. Yeah. Can we dive a little deeper into that? Okay. It's simple, this one. It's when your genital behaviour doesn't reflect liking or wanting to be sexual. So you could be feeling really horny, but you could be dry or not erect or you could be very wet and erect and not be wanting sexual touch or stimulation. It's when things are out of sync, basically, mm -hmm. right? And it happens quite a bit. It does. How common is it? Um, very common, actually. Body, bodies respond to sexual stimulus even if they don't want it to happen. Um, so uh, I like what Emily said is, my genitals do not tell you what I want or what I like. I do. Right? It's a, such a, a great sentence and I really want to put that out there today. And I wonder how many times listeners can recall where a person has disagreed with them on their arousal or their willingness to have sex based on their genitals. Right? Mm. We actually really need to learn to listen to our partners. They're not being shy. They're not being terrible. They're not being horny if their genitals are responding, but they say they don't want sex or they don't want to continue being sexual. And does it affect or impact 
oh, people with vulvas differently to people with penises? Like, is there, I guess, one that can experience it more or less than the other? Um, I think I think it's more tricky for people to understand folks with vulvas because uh, there's a lot of anatomical ignorance. Vulva and its arousal systems are both internal and external. Mm. Uh, but I think folks with penises, they can look very excited, like everything's on the outside and it's like, wow, well, you look like you're excited. So if somebody says no, that's not so great. Um, it's not understandable for a lot of people. For folks with vulvas, um, there were studies done by a person called Ellen Barn in the Netherlands, and she worked out that 85% of women, and my apologies for that term, but the research was very heteronormative back in the day, um, they weren't aware that their bodies were fully aroused. So what she did was she put um, bands around penises to measure tumescence, and she put a thing called a plasmograph, which is like a light-emitting tampon inside vaginas. And then she gave people a button and said, press this if you feel horny. And then she showed people pictures. Here are some rivers, here are some valleys, here are some mountains, here are women, here are men, women and women, men and men, men and women, Mm. right? And the men, God bless them, they got aroused to absolutely everything, and they pressed the button. So rivers, yes. Mountains, yes. Valleys, yes. Women, men, everyone, right? Super good. But 85% of the women did not press a button when their genitals were engorged and aroused, which is really interesting. It shows the lack of knowledge and understanding of bodies. Yeah, right. I remember you mentioning this study before. Yeah. It's It's crazy, hey? Um, Well, a quick shout out to Cheyenne and Kieran listening in all the way from QLD. Thank you so much for texting in and sending some well wishes. Also, shout out to Percy on the text line. Uh, We have talked about this crazy term, arousal non-concordance. But now I'm really curious, Tanya, why is it... Oh, sorry. Um, I'm reading a completely different set of questions. (laughs) Um, Is there anything that can really help with arousal non-concordance? Yeah. Or things you can turn to? I think, really, we can teach people to listen to your partner. Doesn't that sound so basic? Mm. But it's really, you know, we really need to listen to our partner when it comes to wanting sex or particular activities. If genitals are aroused, it doesn't mean consent and it doesn't mean that the person wants to proceed with sex. So do you get how I'm repeating this over and over? Yes. We, we, We need to listen when people say no or stop. Do not argue with them. They are not being shy or difficult or a bitch or a bastard. They don't want to. It's really that simple. Mm. Listen. And how can an involuntary genital response lead to coercion? Yeah, that sort of feeling like you've got to, yeah. Um, I think because people misunderstand, right? Uh, Emily told a story, a really good story, actually, of a friend of hers being tied up in standing position, like it was a power play. So Mm. the person tied her up and put a metal bar between her legs and then left the room. And her friend went, oh, this is boring. You know, I'm not enjoying this. So when the person who tied her up came back in the room, she said, I'm bored. And, And he said, how can you be bored? That bar is wet, so you're clearly excited and aroused. And she's like, no, I'm bored. You need to listen to me not my genitals, right? So, and, and things like pressure on the clitoris can produce arousal. It doesn't mean that somebody wants to be sexual. I've spoken to so many men who have been sexually assaulted who were so distressed 
by the fact they had an erection or ejaculated, right? Their bodies responded. It did not mean that they wanted sex. Yeah. Uh, their body was responding to sexual stimulus. And this also happens to folks with vulvas. It's, it causes such a great deal of shame with trauma survivors and it's very not good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I guess then to bookend today's show, why is it then that you think that there is that idea that having a genital response is synonymous with feeling desire. It feels really everyday prevalent in pop culture, uh, people's understanding of sex in that sense, but it's clearly not necessarily true, right? No, it's so common. It's very not true. Um, <clears throat> the patriarchy? <laughs> <laughs> Want to say that word? Um, it really suits those folks that are wanting sex, those that have power, those that feel that sex is owed to them. And it's really easy to get what you want if you talk yourself into the fact that your power must, your partner must want it also. Yeah. It's what people learn and it's incorrect. Uh, and so that's why talks like this, and thank you, Amber, uh, are so important because we really do need to talk more about arousal non-concordance and we need to talk to folks who are likely to be working with friends with or do the assaulting, so to speak. Yeah. Someone who might be on a jury who might hear a story about, oh, well, you know, they had an orgasm, therefore they wanted sex. Someone who might be in the police or in hospitals so that people are believed, right? Again, we need to listen to the person not their genitals. Wet or erect doesn't mean yes. The person attached to the genitals is the person to listen to and to pay attention to. Totally. As always, the big C here on Let's Talk About <laughs> Sex. Always. Communication. Communication. <laughs> um, Tanya, I just wanted to say a really big thank you oh, for God. all your time and energy and effort. You've really taught me so much and oh, this show, oh my God, it, <laughs> it really wouldn't be anything without you. You are such a bank of oh. knowledge and everything. So yeah, thanks so much. And Let's Talk About Sex isn't going anywhere if you're wondering, oh. um, but you can recap everything on the podcast. It's been such a trip, my own. So interesting to watch you Yes. Really be able to talk about sex from referring to it as naughty when we first started to really diving into these questions. And I'm so going to miss you. Yeah.